So this is the introduction for episode one of Michael Finds a Friend. Um, <clears throat> as, Jesus, every time I do this, I clear my throat within the 30, first three seconds. I'm sorry about that. I'm not deleting it. It's just the way it is. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i get better. I'll also get better at speaking over time eventually, I hope. Uh, what I want this podcast to be and, and what I've said in the intro is, is I want to talk to people from various communities and get their take on it and ask them how someone can get involved in that community, how, uh, what type of uh, things they can expect from it, where they, where they can get into it, right? So in this first episode, I talked to my partner, Megan, who has been teaching yoga for the last five years or so and has been practicing yoga for much, much longer. She... Um, she currently teaches at yoga teacher training. So she, she has a very unique view, I think, of the yoga community because she's a teacher. She's a teacher of teachers and she sees new people entering the community every month, every whatever, every couple of weeks. So she's kind of able in this conversation to pull up from a lot of different communities, the people that have been doing it for a while, the people that are fairly experienced and the, and the fresh newbies. She's able to kind of tell you a perspective from each one, of their, each one of their views so that you can decide for yourself if it's something that you're interested in. Um, I've now recorded this intro maybe three or four times already. This is whatever number. And uh, the first few times I, I basically hit some highlights as to as to what the the conversation is about, you know, the various topics that we talk over. Um, I don't I don't know how how helpful that is. I'll, I'll hit a couple of them, but but the real the real gist of this conversation is he is is like I already mentioned. Here's a community. Here's all the information that we could talk about. Um, in about an hour and a half on the community, make the decision for yourself. Do you want to, is this something that you're interested in? Is it something that maybe you think you want to get involved in? And, uh, and maybe it's not, and maybe you glean something else from the episode for how to look at, at the world and, uh, and kind of frame your, your perception of, of what's going on in your life. The, the yoga community, as you can imagine, is very, um, philosophical and and they could as you'll see with Megan or here with Megan she could talk all day about what it means to be conscious and and what what yoga teaches people about themselves and and how to know if you're getting manipulated and if you're in a good community and all these things that transfer to just about every other thing so I think it's a really good first episode where you can kind of get a an overarching view. I'm sorry if you hear that rooster in the background. There's nothing I can do about it. I, I can kill it, but another one would just grow in its place is what it seems like. Um, so back to my previous train of thought. So um, yeah, take it take it for what it is. And, uh, and oh yeah, now I remember. So yeah, I think it's a good overarching episode in the beginning for basically getting involved in any community because we, we talk about what hurdles you need to overcome in order to get involved in in the yoga community and that relates to everything okay so the same thing six times um, at one point Megan cites a statistic that 
Um, I say, oh, we're going to source. I was, I was kind of just joking, and I didn't actually source it, and I don't think that it's that relevant because it doesn't matter if her statistic is right or horribly inflated. The point stands as to what she's talking about from her own personal experience in, in that uh, people who enter yoga for one reason about a year later find themselves continuing the practice for completely different reasons. Um, so, so when you hear that, don't like look in the notes or anything and just, just listen to, to what we're talking about rather than stressing over the, uh, the minutia as, as you could say. Um, I'm still, because this is the first episode, I'm still like messing around with sound and editing and all that shit. So if it's not perfect, you know, get over it. This is, this is a homemade podcast. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to get better over time. This is a skill like anything else. So I'll, I'll get a little bit better at audio editing and things like that, finding quieter rooms and, and whatnot. But uh, the, the quality is great. Uh, Megan's a very clear speaker and, uh, and the conversation is awesome. So I, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I hope you get a lot out of it. And um, if you do, you know, sh- shoot a message, comment. I don't exactly know where I'm posting this yet, but let me know how you how you feel about it and if you have other people that you think maybe um would get something out of it send it to them and uh if you have somebody you think i would like to talk to that fits into the criteria as to what i'm trying to do with this show let me know i'm not being very picky i'm just trying to find diverse people to see what how they view life okay that's it for this uh attempt at the intro uh, without further ado, uh, here's the episode. Enjoy. Okay. <laughs> I'm just so nervous. All right. So this is episode one, and um, I have a real-life human being in front of me. She just so happens to be the person who I decided to spend all of my life with, so that means that she needs to experience the good, the bad, and the podcast. <laughs> the bad and the podcast. So, like um, Megan Mulrine is uh, is my first guest. She's a she's a well, let's say like internationally traveled yogi. Um, cool. Highly educated, uh, has her degree in English, um, has traveled the world and been all around Asia, and currently spends her time um, about half of every month teaching and making new yoga teachers. So um, what she hopefully is going to talk about today, and we'll see what else we get into, is, is kind of what that community is like and what it, what it provided for her so far and, uh, and what she sees other people getting out of it. And, um, and all right, well, welcome, Megan. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, so I, I made up some, some questions f- uh, because I like to be prepared um, for this first episode. And um, I guess we'll we'll just start. Why don't you tell us kind of? I just gave a brief intro for you, but why don't you tell us like kind of who you are, how you how you view yourself, where you've been, what you do now, and and uh, you know what's your deal? Yeah, it's pretty funny to ask someone who's into yoga who you are, because isn't that kind of the question that we're always trying to get to? Is like who am I actually? Like there's this idea in Buddhism and in Hinduism where we're trying to get to the source of ourselves, trying to get in touch with your your highest self. So we're actually always asking ourselves, who am I? So 
That's a very difficult question to answer. Well, <laughs> just start off um, with like, you know, born and raised, how you ended up here in Bali, yeah. teaching yoga, why you decided that that's, that's what you want to do with your life. Why don't we start there? You don't need to like tell me where your consciousness lies <laughs> and, like, and like get into the deep stuff. Let's just start with the base level of where everybody can relate. Yeah, for sure. Born and raised in Easton, Pennsylvania in the Lehigh Valley, um, just a little bit north of Philadelphia. And as you know, my family doesn't travel too much. So I was never really when I saw a vision for my future and for my life, I never looked too much further than Pennsylvania, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then um, we got married and you were in the Marine Corps and that took us to Japan, which I was freaked about, if you recall. Yeah, I think you cried um, when you first found out and then um, every step along the way and then after we had been there for three years you also cried when we had to leave so yeah clearly your opinion had changed of the place totally yeah because I think that's kind of how it goes like something's put in front of you on your plate that you never expected to be there and the initial reaction is oh I had never left America I never thought that I would leave America and then all of a sudden I was being told I was going to live in Japan for two plus years which is mm -hmm. the most like foreign place you know really they say like the culture shock in japan is bigger than almost anywhere else in the world because just the way that society functions is so so different would you agree with that um in a way i think it's a really good first place to live abroad because while it is super different so it really thrusts you into that um culture shock kind of phase or it at least thrusts you into something very different culturally at the same time it's super safe so it's not like you're going somewhere that's both different and dangerously different it's somewhere that's incredibly different but incredibly safe so there's no real risk involved so i would say it's probably the best place to live abroad as your like starter country abroad yeah it's funny because you see like five-year-olds going to preschool and stuff by themselves <laughs> how about it just walking down the street getting on the subway by themselves it's really incredible and i know people hear stories about japan like that all the time but it kind of until you experience it firsthand like the amount of i think the safety comes a lot from the sense of obedience like the amount of obedience that you see there is quite astonishing i don't mean to generalize the country or the society as a whole but where we lived, like a little village, a little town, basically, uh, a lot of elderly people in the town, but also a lot of like businessmen, business workers, and just a few blocks away from the main train station in town. You remember, we would see people like rushing to get to work, rushing, yeah. like they're yeah. running late. The, the game we would play is, are, are they late for something or are they... Uh, exercising because you can never <laughs> you can tell never like the outfits were like so similar <laughs> in some cases <laughs> but even if they're very clearly rushing to the train for work they're in a suit and tie and they're running and you know the signs when you get to a crosswalk there's either the red hand telling you to stop or the little white walking man those mm -hmm. electronic signs it's like even if there was no one no cars on the street no one coming whatsoever they're running so that they don't miss their train if that sign had a red stop hand, mm -hmm. they would stop at the crosswalk and they would stand there and they would wait until the little walking man came on. It was like yeah. they couldn't fathom 
They couldn't comprehend the idea of crossing the street when they weren't supposed to be crossing the street, even if it wasn't putting their life in any kind of danger, even if they were in a massive rush, you know. And I remember I asked, I was teaching English in Japan, and I asked my students about it one time. I was like, you know, in America... Your students, by the way, who are like fully grown Japanese adults, so this isn't like a like a middle schooler's opinion this is yeah these are like conversational english lessons with actually a lot of like uh, retired japanese people would take up english as kind of a hobby they would start learning english so i would ask my students when whenever there was a very big cultural difference like that that i experienced i would ask them about it and i remember asking them like why does everyone always without fail no matter how much of a rush they're in why do they always stop at the crosswalk and i remember my students saying Oh, yeah, back in the 80s, there was, like, a commercial on TV saying that you have to always stop if the hand says stop, so we just always stop. <laughs> like, can you imagine if we did everything that we heard on a public service announcement? We would have no problems in America. <laughs> yeah, right? It's funny, too, because actually that seems to have somehow Asian cultures are more uh, adept at listening to public service announcements because... Here in Indonesia, even when it's blazing hot out, they wear long pants and long sleeves. And you said that that came from like a public service announcement as well or something like that, where they were like the whatever told them that it's safer to be like this, which obviously it is. So they like blindly follow it no matter what the temperature is like. Yeah, I think that one's mostly for like riding motorbikes long distances, because if you fall off your bike, you get cut up if you don't have jeans and a jacket on. But yeah, sure, it just makes sense. Like it's not nearly as blind. Yeah. Yeah, surely they've experienced. Well, that's why I asked my students that about the crosswalks, because I'm like, is this like like Singapore where you're going to get caned or something Mm -hmm. if you cross the street? And they're like, no. No, just someone suggested it to us, so we're, like, following it forever. <laughs> yeah, so that was the thing about Japan. Like, they were, like, uh, and not to be mean about an entire culture or anything, but to a fault, they were obedient for the way that things are supposed to be. So so for us coming in, it seems super safe because you know everyone's going to follow the rules. Right, exactly. So that's why I say I think it was a good starter place to live abroad because you have a very good sense of safety and everything's very controlled Mm -hmm. and and everyone was very polite and everything. So it gives you the experience of living abroad without any danger that you would experience if you live somewhere a little bit sketchier. So now living in Indonesia, we're dealing with a lot of different things, but uh, in a way a lot more like openness and a lot more warmth from the people as well, where it's, it's just a very, very different kind of society, a very different culture. So it's it's a cool transition to make, you know, yeah. which is hilarious too when you think about Americans who classify like immigrants from anywhere in Asia as just Asian. Oh, you know, Asian people yeah. are good at math or whatever the mm-hmm, shitty stereotypes mm-hmm. are. And it's like, in fact, the cultures are so ridiculously vastly different from one Asian country to another. That yeah, because we've, we've been here for like, like we've been here for like a half decade now and experienced probably a dozen different Asian cultures. And it's like it just seems like the most ignorant thing you can say because mm-hmm. they're I, I mean first of all half of them hate each other anyway <laughs> yeah right like they hate to be compared yeah. to another and they're so different yeah they all eat rice that's about it you know? <laughs> like, yeah and that's just because like we all eat wheat in yeah. in western so, cultures like, or whatever bread eaters yeah like oh yeah i heard everyone <laughs> in america eats corn yeah. like okay okay <laughs> There's no no generalizing there. Yeah, that's um, true. Okay, yeah, so we were living in Japan, 
and now um, we're living in Indonesia. Now we're living in Indonesia. So how did that transition happen? Yeah, it's a good question. So if we get back to the whole yoga thing and where yoga comes into play with this, um, I had done, so I started doing my training back in the States. Um, and also I would even trace it back further than that. Like when we were in university, when we were in college at Villanova, our first yoga teacher that we were going to regularly both me and he used to go to yeah, classes to go. as well yeah. yeah it was a really cool thing because it was I was really involved with the theater department in school I was doing uh, making the costumes for the the plays at the in the theater department and working in the costume shop as kind of my work study program yeah and one of the professors in the theater department was an Augustinian priest uh, Villanova's an Augustinian Catholic University uh, this priest named Father David Cregan, and he also taught the yoga classes like at the gym at the university. So it was this really super cool kind of balance to see of this Catholic priest who would walk into class with his like brown Augustinian robes on, take off his robes and had just like regular gym clothes and tattoos, by the way. He was super cool. Um, and teach yoga, you yeah. know? Because a lot of people think yoga is like inextricably linked with Hinduism and sometimes they well, think it is. Go ahead. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that, but then there's also the, the complete opposite where a lot of people just view it as a workout. Right, right, where people think of it as just fitness and they don't actually think about the spiritual effects of it at all. So I think he was really cool in that he could balance the emotional and spiritual effects that yoga has with as well the amazing physical benefits. But he had this way of viewing it where it wasn't specific to any one religion or specific to any belief in one particular god or anything but still get across those those principles like I don't know maybe a lot of people don't know that yoga came from this Hindu tradition that even sets out principles for like lifestyle and how you should live your life which of course are similar to every other religion out there in that they're based in love and non-harming and kindness and all of those kind of baseline principles that you have yeah and also that the yoga that um most people associate with yoga is just one uh you can give me the terminology here but just like one branch of what yoga actually is like the physical practice of the yeah. positions and stuff is just this one of 10 or whatever different things that are all considered yogas yeah it's one in eight really so the traditional yoga of uh, like patanjali's yoga sutras talks about eight limbs of yoga mm -hmm. and what modern americans anyway think of yoga those yoga poses you know your warrior yeah, poses, poses and stuff yeah. that's one of the eight branches and the others are two of them are they call the yamas and niyamas they're the philosophy the lifestyle based almost like the ten commandments of yoga non-harming non-attachment all those sorts of things yeah. one is the energy practice through our breath that you find called pranayama mm -hmm. and then really the other four all have to do with meditation and the meditative state that you get into so that means like half of yoga half of the value of yoga half of the purpose of yoga is all about meditation and the full practice is meant to lead you to the quieting of the fluctuations of the mind. When your mind is chattering and busy and you can't 
get your mind to shut off. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose of yoga and meditation is to find that peace inside of yourself to to quiet the mind. So I really, I trace my whole yoga journey back to that one teacher who astonishingly was an Augustinian priest, you know, because he he used to teach also a, a class for the theater department that was called Voice and Movement. And it was a yoga class that he would teach to the grad students in the theater department. Um, while at the same time as you're doing the yoga poses, you're trying to project your voice and sing and speak um, like you would if you were acting and dancing or whatever. But everyone used to call it yoga and yelling. Because <laughs> that's pretty much what it was, like mm-hmm. doing yoga poses and yelling at the same time. Um, but he just had a beautiful way of incorporating the principles and the philosophies in a way that made you see that it was all the same across various traditions, various religions. So I personally have gotten really into the study of Buddhism while we were living in Japan as well, and then also into like the the Hindu stories and the Hindu mythology behind the poses, because a lot of people don't realize that, yeah, while you can be any religion, of course, and believe anything and still practice yoga and derive benefit from it, Um, Even the poses themselves are often named after real stories from the Hindu religion, you know, like Mm -hmm. real mythological stories that help to sort of inform the practice. So all of that being said, just to to say that I've gotten deeper and deeper into the study over the years. And now that we're living in Bali, which is a predominantly Hindu island, especially in Indonesia, where it's majority Muslim on most Hindu islands, Bali's, I mean, most Indonesian islands, Bali's this like holdout of Hinduism uh, from a very, very long time ago when Hinduism first came to Indonesia. And Bali's still really practicing in this very traditional way where they're doing offerings every morning and they're there's oh my god yeah morning evening yeah. <laughs> all day um these amazing like temples to the hindu trinity every village has three temples one for each of the hindu gods and they're they're so active in this uh this worship i guess but also in their meditation and in their their attachment to nature, their connection to themselves. It's just, it's become an amazing place to learn about yoga and practice yoga. And and yeah, I've been teaching at yoga teacher trainings here uh, because I think people are really drawn to Bali because of that power and that energy from the the local people's connection to the gods. It's called the island of the gods, you know, Bali. Let me uh, ask you, like, do you you think um, it's, Everyone knows, so like there's India, there's Bali. Those are pretty much like the two hotspots for yoga in the world. Um, uh, you can add more if you want, but like those are the two that most people know. Do you think it's helpful or um, that, yeah, do you think it's helpful that there are these two places that people know that they can go to to find this this path if they want, that if they like so choose to follow it or see if it's for them to like get into the world of yoga? Or is it kind of um, doing it itself a disservice because there's continents where there's not as much, like people might feel like they, if they haven't been to Bali, like is there a, this is a fucked up question, um, <laughs> is there like, is there like a caste system almost where it's like, okay, yeah, but I learned my yoga at Bali. 
Like, so yeah. I, I know more than you who learned it at Bally Total Fitness in, <laughs> in Wichita, Kansas, you know? Like, what do you think about that? Sure, but I do think it's a false perception as well because there are people practicing, like, very pure, very open-hearted, true yoga practices everywhere in the world. And there's, even in India, there are some really shit programs, you know? Like, mm. like I know a lot of foreigners who have gone to India and opened up a, a teacher training there or something. So people feel like, oh, I'm going to Rishikesh, I'm going to Dharamsala to get my teacher training done. But all of their teachers are foreigners and maybe they're teaching, like, some style of yoga that has no basis in any kind of tradition or anything. So, you know, it's you find what you seek no matter where you seek it in the world so if you're seeking something authentic and something um, based in some kind of tradition that you believe in you can find it in america canada australia just as easily as you mm. can find it in india or bali yeah. um, but i think what it does create is it creates hubs of like-minded people for sure you know like people who are seeking an authentic experience tend to show up in Bali and tend to show up in India for these sorts of things but that doesn't mean that you'll find an authentic experience there it just tends to gather those people together what is that well well how can people know like let's say someone decides that they want to give this yoga thing a try like how will they know if they're being hoodwinked into a cult that's going to like extort them for all their money and like force them to have sex with an old Indian man <laughs> versus like uh, 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 what you're involved in you know something where it's honest and we'll tell the truth and and we'll get into what the teachings say but also it's about individual rights and and choosing what you want to do that's a great question um you know i think we can all get quite far if we follow our gut you know if you follow your intuition and anytime that because that's a real problem i don't know if this is what you're referring to but it's a real problem in the kind of spiritual community when people start getting deeper into yoga practices or spiritual practices or meditation practices even and they start following certain teachers there's a lot of time humans are human humans are fallible and we're manipulated quite easily by power so there's a lot of a lot of stories like john friend of anusara yoga back in the states was convinced or convicted of a lot of like molestation of students a lot of weird sex stuff going on or uh, an example that springs to the forefront of my mind now is bikram yoga a lot of people still practicing bikram yoga uh, this guy, Bikram Chowdhury, who has been convicted of molesting teachers in his teacher trainings. And, and it's this idea, like, this habit, this pattern that happens in human nature of people getting too much power and taking advantage of that. Um, surely women also are prone to that, but it seems to be that men are much more in danger of falling into that trap. Of being power hungry? Power hungry, it's rather taking advantage, and especially in the yoga world where it's largely women getting into it, but somehow like the men stick out in those communities where all of a sudden a lot of times the male yoga teachers get a little bit exalted into this guru status and it thrusts them into a place of power where they quite often are exploiting that power and sometimes abusing students and things. So I, I always caution my students, especially those who are becoming teachers who are going through these teacher trainings, mm -hmm. I say to them, 
to be careful, men and women, you know, who are becoming yoga teachers, to make sure that you're asking for consent always as a teacher, always asking for consent. And that means even for like doing hands-on adjustments for your students. If you're going to touch anyone's body within your yoga class, you're asking first if anyone doesn't want to be touched. There could be a million reasons why someone wouldn't want to be touched at all in a yoga class, so you have to ask. And even if they haven't said no, if you're approaching that student to make an adjustment, ask again, hey, do you mind if I touch you to show you what I mean, Mm -hmm. you know? There's no reason to ever not ask consent, to never not ask if your student is comfortable with this. Because what I see happening is like, People get really deep into these kinds of spiritual practices. They start getting into like Reiki, they start getting into like yoga massage, things that are requiring you to be more and more hands on. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, there have been people in my experience who I've known who have talked about things like, oh, I personally can open up your root chakra, right? Which means you're. (laughs) Genitals. <laughs> which could mean your genitals right if it's a if, so I always am saying to my 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 new teachers like if anything makes you feel uncomfortable it's not right it shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable you know everything that you're doing should feel right and honest and authentic to you and as soon as your intuition is telling you that doesn't feel right that doesn't mm-hmm. seem practical Mm -hmm. you know if that's not the most practical way to go about something that you have to take your clothes off or whatever it is then it's not right you know what i mean Mm -hmm. there are much more practical ways to open your root chakra than something that involves you getting naked with someone you know yeah so what often happens is or from from what i've heard because i don't manipulate people and have not been manipulated (laughs) Um, uh, to my knowledge unless I'm burying it down real deep in my root chakra Um, um, what happens a lot is people want to believe right so so they um, will make concessions for certain people because they believe that this person is looking out for their best interests even though they may not be why do you think because I don't know, just being around this world as much as I have been, I, I, I feel like there are a lot more people searching for an answer. And as soon as somebody's willing to give them one, they attach themselves to that answer. Yeah. What, what is that? No, it's true. I think these kinds of communities attract a lot of people who are seeking something. They're looking for an answer, as you say. So mm-hmm. as soon as someone seems to have that answer, they attach themselves to it. But I think... All of this, if you look back at the tradition of yoga, at the history of this kind of meditation, what it's bringing you back to is that the answer is inside of yourself. Whatever it is that you're seeking, the answer is within you. So in that way, it leads to us really never falling into that trap of letting someone else take advantage or worshipping someone else for their abilities or something. In fact, what it should be leading you back to is this trust and this faith in yourself Mm. so the whole like guru conundrum is really a difficult one because of course it's nice to be inspired by other people and other teachers and have them guide you but in fact what they should be guiding you to is a deeper connection with yourself Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what's really beautiful about like uh, buddhist philosophy or even hindu philosophy is that it's the belief in a specific god is 
unnecessary. It's irrelevant in a way. To those philosophies. To those philosophies, yeah. So it's not even saying like, worship this, worship this person. It's saying we all have a God inside of ourselves. And that sounds so crazy from a Western religion point of view to say like, I am God. But it's not just I am God. It's like, also you are God. Also, everyone is God, you know? And I know that sounds insane and that sounds like blasphemy to say, but the belief is that you have that power within yourself. And when you connect to any God that that means something to you or speaks to you, what you're really connecting to are those qualities within yourself. Let me ask you this question. Yes, please do. Um, So with that being said, how, how these philosophies say we all have God within us or we are all God. Mm -hmm. How do you suppose that initial priest who you got your first yoga inspiration from justified the, now this is like getting like super into religion, which which I (laughs) want to try not to for this podcast, (laughs) but, but that's okay. Like, how do you think he justified the two, the two things, which I think butt heads kind of, right? Or no? I don't think they butt heads at all. In fact, because surely we also can be if if there's a specific god that you identify with or that means something to you whether that's your your catholic god as my my original yoga teacher priest would be connected to yeah or whether it's uh hanuman the monkey face god the sort of jesus savior figure mm-hmm. in hinduism or if it's like Ganesha, the elephant gate face god, that remover of obstacles, or, or any of the Hindu trinity, you know, the the Brahma, the mm-hmm. Shiva, the Vishnu, like yeah. whoever it is that you connect to, maybe it's 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 the can I say Allah? <laughs> whether it's Allah, whether it's uh, yeah, I don't think Yahweh. that I don't think that will ever be popular enough that I need to worry about. That. <laughs> I don't. I never know the rules. <laughs> Yeah, but whatever that Death that threat. God is that 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 means something to you. That's a reflection of those qualities within yourself. So I don't think that yoga itself, as a practice, the practice of connecting to yourself, I don't think that that's contrary to any religious tradition out there. I think it's it's perfectly in line with every tradition that exists because all it is it is trying to be more godly yourself, mm-hmm. really. It's trying yeah. to understand that, that peace and that love within you. Interesting. Um, let's dial it back for a second. Yeah, that um, got pretty philosophical. Yeah, that got really deep. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say you're someone who wants to get into yoga okay or you're looking for let's just paint a hypothetical someone who's looking to start getting in shape care about their body a little bit more maybe like um think a little bit more who knows but they think that yoga might have something for them right yeah they've done nothing before right right or have no exposure to to the community to who these people are what advice would you give to someone like that and what well let's just start there what advice would you give to someone like that someone who has an idea that yoga could benefit them in some way but they have no idea where to start yeah or they're not even sure if it could but they're willing to give it a try yeah and you know you asked about like how do you know if you're getting into an authentic experience or if you're getting into something silly and modern it doesn't matter. That's my actual answer. It doesn't matter okay. what brings you to the mat because there's a statistic that says like 80% of people 
who have been practicing, I don't know where the source of this statistic is, by the way, but I'll try to find it if you need it. Yeah, we're going to have to source that. Yeah, 80% of people who... 80% of people, 100% of the time. <laughs> All right, listen, this is real, I, I read this. Okay. I'll find out where I read it, but okay. 80% of people who have been practicing yoga for at least a year no matter what their reason was for initially starting yoga so whether it was just to like get fit or it was because someone was advertising like beer yoga in their town goat yoga goat yoga yeah Yeah, where you can do yoga with goats whatever the reason was 80 percent of people who have been practicing yoga for more than a year say that their primary reason for practicing changed within that year typically from something physical to something emotional or spiritual so i bring that up because that means no matter what brings you to the mat maybe you like join your first yoga class because you think you're going to get a a butt that looks good in yoga pants you know yeah even when in reality you can just buy pants that make it look like that yeah like they're really like they're advertising to me on the internet because i make a lot of butt google searches i guess <laughs> yeah they have like seams that really yeah. perk your butt up it's anyway, like, yeah, yeah. like a push-up bra for your butt yeah. yeah yeah so if that's the reason why you join your first yoga class doesn't matter because for 80 percent of people after a year of practice your reason's going to change you're going to realize that the greatest benefit of practicing is your emotional well-being or your spiritual connection or your connection to yourself something other than just the physical body the physical benefit okay um that that makes me think so all the reasons that you're giving to get into this are kind of not selfish but they're centered around the self right around around Mm -hmm. you um have you gotten anything out of this because of other people like what kind of relationships has yoga um spurred in your life cool yeah yeah I think that's something that's a real concern that people have when they take the time to practice something like yoga or meditation where it's a very singular activity it's a very personal activity Mm -hmm. where people sometimes and I see this a lot with the because the way that the teacher trainings that I teach at work is they're basically a month-long program The Yoga Alliance requires 200 hours of training to become a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. So basically these people take the time out of their busy life to come to this tiny island in Indonesia off the coast of Bali. I'm teaching on Nusa Lembongan, so it's not even Bali itself. It's a tiny island off the coast of Bali. So it's an island off of an island off of a chain of islands off of a continent. Exactly, Yeah. yeah, teeny tiny island. Um, And people come here and they spend a month here to learn how to be a yoga teacher. And I think there's a little bit of guilt associated with it sometimes where people think this is a very selfish thing that I'm doing to take this time away from my family or out of my life to focus just on myself, on meditating and connecting to myself. Mm. When in fact, you can't fully love anyone else. You can't fully give to anyone else until you've filled yourself up first, until you learn to love yourself, and as we say, like you fill up your own cup before you can serve to others. So I think people think that taking the time for self-care and self-connection, sometimes they feel guilty about it as if it's a selfish thing to do, but really it's um, the analogy that I heard recently of 
when you're on an airplane and they're going through the safety measures, the emergency situation kind of rules, and they say, uh, if the oxygen masks drop down, take the oxygen yourself first before you give it to the person beside you, before you help others. That's exactly true of life. Like you have to fix yourself before you can fix anyone else or before you can help anyone else. Mm-hmm. I like I like that. And I know where you heard that, which brings me to the first message from our sponsors. Um, whatever this podcast name brought to you by the other thing that I also do with my life, which is <laughs> personal training and my very first product, 30 Days to Peak Performance, where I use that analogy in a sales page to try to get you to buy my very first product. Anyway, we'll talk more about that later. And I'm talking into a fake microphone right now, a fake microphone into a real microphone. But that's that's true, right? So um, back to the podcast, the commercial's over. I'm not sure if you're the first place that I heard that from, though, to be I made fair. that up. Don't Google it. Uh, <laughs> but it's a good analogy. Yeah, no, the, the point stands. So, you know, how could you be a satisfactory member of a community if you are a piece of shit constantly beating yourself up in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. So... Maybe you're not a piece of shit. Maybe you're just troubled. Sure. And in fact, like, people tend to think of their yoga teacher as, like, some kind of psychologist enlightened person with their shit together but in fact the reason why most people become yoga teachers why they join shit like this is because they're a bit troubled or because they're trying to connect better to themselves you know it's not because they're perfect people trying to become more perfect it's because you're trying to fill up your own cup so in that way I think that this practice we say oh yeah like the the end game or whatever of yoga is to connect closer to yourself but why do we want to connect closer to ourselves like like a guru that I really respect named Karoli Baba Maharaji Ji like the father of bhakti yoga this yoga of pure and unconditional love uh, said love all serve all love all serve all remember God speak the truth but love all, serve all, that's the, that's the end game to me. It's not just to connect to yourself, it's to connect to yourself so that you can better serve others, you know, so you can better give to others. Um, seeing that God not only in yourself, but that God in others as well. Like the very famous story about Hanuman, that monkey face God who Hanuman served Lord Rama, Rama being this incarnation of Vishnu, the preserver, the protector of the universe, the the God figure, and Hanuman being his humble servant. And when Rama asked him, when he first met him, he asked him, well, what what are you? Are you monkey or are you man? He had the tail of a monkey, the face of a monkey, but acted like, like a man. He says, what are you, monkey or are you man? And Hanuman said to him, as God, Hanuman said to Lord Rama, as God, when I don't know who I am, I serve you. And when I know who I am, I see that I am you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's this idea that we all have that power within us, you know, and until you realize that power in yourself, all you can do is serve others. So in for whatever reason that's over my head right now like the 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 um dumbing it down to to where my mind is working at this current moment is is like we were saying it's work on yourself so that you can work on others because working on others is working on yourself is that 
Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's all connected. That's the idea. We're all connected. So you you serve yourself in order to serve others. You serve others in order to serve yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love all, serve all. <laughs> mm, love all, serve all. Um, okay. So if people can... So you're saying it doesn't matter what you do. If you think you want to get into yoga, you can get into yoga. Yeah. No matter what it is, and eventually over time you'll figure it out. I think that that's I think that that's a good point though for kind of any community that someone wants to get into. Um, let I'll take a personal example. Um, it's not necessarily a community, but let's talk about nutrition, right? So I. I think I know a good deal about nutrition now over time, mm-hmm. but at some point I had to decide somewhere to start, right? I'm going to start learning about this aspect. I'm going to start learning about macronutrients first, sure. and then I realized that I'm deficient in other things, but in the beginning I wasn't, I didn't say, okay, I need to know everything all perfectly correct because my ideas on, on things have changed over time I don't need to know everything 100% accurately from day one um, but I think oftentimes a lot of people so so for yoga the same thing would be well I need to be in it for the right reasons and if I'm not in it for the right reasons then I shouldn't even get involved in it because a real yogi is going to call me out or something like that right yeah but that's not the case the case for everything is we all need to start somewhere and you start from a place of ignorance and honestly a place of ignorance is probably the best place to position yourself when you're getting involved in anything even if you know more some of the best leaders that i worked with in the military they knew more than everybody in the room but they also asked more questions than everybody else in the room beautiful so when when we left the meeting or wherever we were going they now knew even more than they already knew even if someone answered a question and they knew the proper answer, they would hear them out and say, okay, and frame that answer from where that person came from. Okay, I'm a pilot, but that person's in the infantry or something like that. So they have a completely different perspective. We come to the same conclusion, but theirs is because of this and mine is because of this. Sure. And now I have another view on something that I didn't previously know. Yeah. So... Um, so your advice being just get started because you'll pick it up along the way and don't get worried that you're doing something wrong because it's part of the process yeah to to be fully enveloped in that and along with what you said don't ever think that you've reached the limit of your knowledge about something it's taking on that beginner's mind and being um, a lifelong learner that applies to anything not just yoga like most of these practices most of this stuff when you start studying it the more you learn the more you realize you don't know so in fact you're just constantly climbing this probably endless ladder of of information and self-discovery and and learning and that's that's what makes it beautiful is that there's actually no end in sight there's Mm -hmm. no goal there's no perfect yoga pose there's no no end you know it's it's a lifelong journey that you embark on yeah that's that's interesting because um i think a lot of people um fear a process or they're just looking for a result like in our results-based world that we live in now um a lot of people like for so my mind goes back to fitness a lot but let's let's take cooking for instance like someone won't even want to learn 
how to cook an egg because they don't know how to make a souffle. Sure. So what's the point? Like, I don't know how to do anything in the kitchen. Right. Why should I? You start from, so you learn how to cut an onion first, and then and then you move on from there, and, and you enjoy learning things. I think what happens also is people see a master at something, right? Yeah. And they say, oh, I, I'll never get there. I'll never know as much as that person knows, so they don't even start. Yeah. Because they're afraid of failure in a way. Yeah, and that's the wrong mentality because maybe there is no failure or yeah. life is only failure or life is only success because every time you fail at something, you succeed in never doing that again potentially. <laughs> Yeah, like we should see our failures as success actually because it's like every mistake that you make, every every step that you take is just leading you further along the proper path, you know. Mm-hmm. But I I I also like that's easy said, right? Yeah. Like here's two people like just talking in a room about about this shit. <laughs> but like a lot of times what may happen is someone says, "Okay, fine, I'll start something." But what, what about the anxiety and the stress and the worry? Like, what am I going to do when the first person calls me out? Like, what am I going to do when I start doing yoga and the first vegan yogi tells me that I'm a piece of crap because I'm having a hot dog after my yoga class? Like, why should I even start? I should just go full raw vegan on day one, get off, go 100% yoga, start wearing throat chakras around my neck and... and <laughs> But people are like, okay, well, I I either need to do it all or nothing, or there's no like there's no point if I'm not going to do it all. Yeah, and you know, I think actually bad advice that gets repeated a lot is fake it till you make it. Like in some ways, I can see why that would benefit, but if I think about yoga or comparatively, if I think about surfing. Yeah. Surfing, this happens all the time. You get your first surfboard mm. and you start surfing and all of a sudden you think of yourself as a surfer, right? Yeah. And you talk about yourself like you're a surfer and you don't know shit. Like you don't know how to read waves. You don't know anything about surfing, but you allow it to become your identity and you lose all sense of like humility or, or modesty or whatever about the thing. So I think people sometimes jump headfirst into something new where they're ashamed to ask questions. They're ashamed to let on that they're a beginner. And then they rob themselves of a lot of very valuable, very vital learning. You know, if you start doing yoga and you're, you're too afraid to ask any questions because you're ashamed, because you think you should already know the answer, if you've bought your first surfboard and you start surfing, but you're too afraid to ask about the lineup and what it means to drop in on someone and what it means to, to read the waves. If you're too ashamed to ask those questions, you're actually just robbing from yourself. You're stealing an opportunity to learn. Um, you have to be humble and say, I'm new at this. I'm a beginner. Teach me from the beginning, you know? Because the thing about yoga is you drop in on a regular public yoga class where maybe some people in the room have been practicing for eight years Mm -hmm. and some have been practicing for a few weeks, you never know, and the teacher is just trying to to teach a very general class to, to a mixed group, and then you find yourself too ashamed to say, hey, how am I supposed to be breathing? What do you mean by cueing the breath here? Like you never take yourself, you never allow yourself to go back to basics because you assume that you should be beyond that already, even 
nauseous your third class or whatever it is you Mm -hmm. know Uh, in surfing like you've caught a couple of pretty big waves and now you feel like oh I'm beyond that question so I shouldn't ask that question anymore I shouldn't admit that I don't know that thing yeah it's like um when you meet a new person and you forgot their name after they introduced themselves and then you're 20 minutes into a conversation and you're like shit I can't ask them their name now like I'm too (laughs) far in you should just bite your lip and just ask them like what was your name again I'm sorry yeah (laughs) it happens all the time Um, I'm sure in a lot more than just yoga and surfing you know where once you've been doing it for a while you're too scared to ask those questions that you perceive to be dumb questions or you seem perceived to be beginner questions or whatever but Mm -hmm. I would say that this sign of a a true learner a true seeker someone who really cares is that you're not afraid to ask those questions you're not afraid to go back to basics so even if you've been practicing yoga for like two three years going back to a beginner's workshop or a basic workshop that will teach you like from the start what the diaphragm is doing when you breathe Mm -hmm. you know why that supports our yoga poses like there seems to be this big secret in yoga of like oh certain poses you do with the inhale and certain poses you do with the exhale but only yoga teachers know why but it's actually so simple like anytime you're doing a pose that expands the chest you do that with the inhale you're making more space for the lungs to fill you know you can imagine your back bends or anytime you're raising the arms up overhead there's more space for the chest to expand so those always happen with an inhale and anytime you're making less space in the chest like a forward fold for example or even a side bend when you're restricting the space that the lungs have to fill Mm -hmm. you do that with the exhale if you think of how the diaphragm moves up with your exhale how it rises up Um, how it presses the air out any pose that's facilitating that you do with the exhale like it's quite simple and it's quite intuitive and it's not some big secret but we yoga teachers tend to keep it a bit close to the chest because it's like a, a secret of the trade when actually everyone should learn that every yoga teacher should be saying that from the very beginning so if your students lose the breath cow and if they lose the the breath in cat and cow they can figure it out for themselves you know yeah because they're following their own natural rhythm of breath and the movement of the chest you know these are very natural things that we're talking about but people get too scared to ask or too ashamed to ask if they've been practicing yoga for a while they don't want to go back to those basics because they're too proud it's hard to because there are people who want to shame yeah. That if you ask that question, you're worried because you're not necessarily worried. Maybe if you were by yourself and with someone you totally trusted, you have no problem asking that question, right? Sure. Like a close friend. But as soon as you're unsure about the person you're asking the question to or the other people in the room, you're worried what you're worried what they're going to think about your question. You're not worried about the answer to the question. You're worried about what is their perception of you as you ask this question. Right, exactly. And like yoga philosophy is a lot about quelling that ego and and getting that ego to quiet down so you can actually connect to your, your real self, not just your ego. But actually like in practice, especially in the Western world, like yoga is very much about the ego very much like like even having a a mirror in your yoga studio those of you who have practiced with a a mirror in your yoga studio before how often are you just checking yourself out in the mirror the whole time Mm -hmm. looking to see what the super flexible girl in the back is doing if you've gotten lower than her in a pose or it's constant 
comparison and that's so antithetical to what yoga as a practice is it's meant to be this very personal practice this connection of you to yourself not to whoever else is in the room or whatever form you think the pose is supposed to take it's not about that at all it's it's going to be different for your body every single day you know our bodies are different every day and there's no goal pose it's just the movement that's helping your body helping your mind connect closer to your body helping your your soul to connect a little deeper and and that's all it is you know it's nice thank you (laughs) um let's try this question how about what are qualities i don't know how this is gonna land this is my first time asking this question to anyone what are qualities of your friends who you've met in the yoga community and why are you pleased with that like that you found that this is the type of person in that community or displeased are there things that that you found that um, you're, you didn't realize that you're gonna find in this this world? Cool. Yeah, we can take a brief break uh, after this word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. I don't know how to stop it. <laughs> okay, and we're back. Wait, <laughs> I no. forgot what the original question. Oh, so was. I'll re-ask. Um, just what are the qualities of uh, the friends that you've made in the yoga community and um, you know what what binds them and what are you pleased with that you found and what are you maybe you're not pleased with cool yeah I think there's not that much of a common thread amongst the people who are drawn to this kind of community like it, it brings all different sorts of people but if there is one thing that I would say they probably have in common it's that they're all seeking to better themselves Mm. um, which is an amazing quality in a person right that that they're seeking to become the best version of themselves that they can be so in that way that's an amazing thing right that's everyone actively consciously trying to do better you know and it gives me this faith in humanity where i really believe that everyone is just doing their best you yeah. know, yeah. everyone is trying their best. And I really see that in the yoga community, that people are actively trying their best. They're actively trying to be the best version of themselves. Um, of course, that presents itself in many, many different ways. So if you ask, like, what's the good, what's the bad? I think that's good that everyone's trying to better themselves. The bad is that we're all coming from, like, crazy different backgrounds and crazy different problems, and there are, there are demons that we're all fighting, and there are, there are things that we're all working through. So mm. so just like any other uh, community, you can consider it like a microcosm of the, the population, but it's a very specific microcosm. That's people who have realized there's a problem, and they're trying to overcome it. They're trying to better themselves. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. So it's like um, lifelong learners. You, you, yeah. you tend to find that the, at least the people who you've maintained a relationship with in the yoga community are always trying to get better, whether it's actually at their practice, at teaching it, or 
just in their regular life, some other aspect of their life as well. Yeah, and mostly what I mean is it's not like they're trying to get a better body or something. I mean, like, everyone who's drawn into this practice, especially enough to do a teacher training or something, is that they're trying to, to better their, their personal self, their emotional self, their spiritual self. They're mm-hmm. trying to become the best version of themselves um, morally, ethically, you know? Yeah, that's a great group of people to surround yourself with, right? Yeah, I think so. Which isn't to say there aren't hiccups and missteps along the way, but but everyone has this goal of trying to be the best they can be. Do you find that people are more willing to admit their faults than maybe someone who isn't involved in yoga? Absolutely, yeah. And I think the community itself tends to peel back the layers and the labels to make you a bit vulnerable and make you a bit raw and make you wear your heart on your sleeve a little bit more where Mm -hmm. where people are willing to talk about the pain that they've been through the struggles they've been through um it really creates this sense of raw honesty Mm -hmm. of, of revealing yourself to others and that's part of the healing process that's part of that that process of getting in touch with your highest self is to let yourself out yeah you know i've noticed because it's like you're so i i practice yoga somewhat you know a little bit in the mornings like i'll go to a class every once in a while um, and i talk to you about this type of thing all the time but i'm still let's say very immature in my knowledge and like my my exposure to the community as well because i have my own thing going on um so whenever i find myself maybe like maybe dumped into a situation with you, for instance, at one of these graduations, or maybe you're having an ecstatic dance with, uh, with the, the course, one night of the course. Um, it's, it's interesting for me because I am a more reserved person. I come from a world where I didn't want to tell anybody anything about me ever. And I don't just mean my previous job. I mean the way I was raised as well. It's like, sure. <laughs> this is, you know, keep your things to yourself and don't, don't, uh, show any weakness or expose any any uh, cracks in the armor to anyone else, right? So when I'm, you ask me, hey, do you want to come to this? Um, I find that I need to become a lot more open than maybe I'm used to being, and I've gotten better at it over time. Yeah. But it's funny about the the yoga community is that's not easy in any way to be to be open to be honest and 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 trust the other people that are around you but i've found in that community more than anyone else everyone's really accepting of of what you say or where you've come from for sure and and that's super helpful because i think that they all recognize that they have everyone has their own issues and everyone's here to try to get better and 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 help each other yeah, I remember actually the first ecstatic dance that you went to. <laughs> yes. So ecstatic dance is like, I don't even know where it originated from, but I think in my heart, I feel that it came from this need of like people who practice yoga or something that has quite strict alignment and strict movements where it's like, it's inhale, do yeah. this, exhale, do this, yeah. inhale, it's very strict in the movement. Um ecstatic dance is a chance to just move your body however your body naturally and organically wants to move so it's almost like there are sometimes like day raves you know maybe it's like 10 o'clock in the morning and a dj's there playing music and everyone's just literally 
dancing like total maniacs, you know, like that dance like no one's watching mentality. Mm -hmm. That's what happens at ecstatic dance. And I remember specifically the first one that I brought you to, you sat on the edge for the first 20 minutes. And that one was like, that was a particularly weird one too, where girls are like, rolling on the floor there are people like losing it howling like really getting into it and I remember you sat for a while and then eventually you were able to get up and start doing some dancing so I'm curious what was it in you that made you feel like over time because now you go to them pretty regularly with me and you let loose and you really let it out without you even yeah you've gone without me yeah Yeah. like what what was it that changed for you that made you well, that one was particularly hard because that one was at like 11 a.m. on a Sunday, right? That's true, yeah. So uh, I think what I realized after 20, 30 minutes, however long it was, was that nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Like all these people don't care. And it's the same thing like I was just saying. Like they're very open. Like th- they don't care how I'm going to dance because they clearly don't care how they're going to dance. So I might as well yeah. get up. And the only people I noticed that look weird in that room, and I'm, this is non-judgmental as much as it can be, are the ones who are clearly self-conscious about what they're doing. That's true, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's the people who you can tell are worried about how others are perceiving them. The people who actually don't give a shit are the ones who seem the most natural in that setting. And I have no idea how to dance. Yeah. I'm about, I'm about as stereotypical white anglo-saxon man as you can be when it comes to dancing so like i don't have any hip-hop training or anything like that (laughs) yeah so it's not like i don't look great i don't i don't know yeah but it's not about that at all it's not nothing about how you look it's about how you feel inside and how you're listening to your your body's natural inclinations to move if there's no outside pressure or outside dictation of how you should be moving your body how would you want to move you know mm-hmm. that's that's what ecstatic dance is all about yeah so that's i think that's a great example of of what that how welcoming that community can be and that can also be off-putting because some people kind of want to maybe be tested a little bit before they're accepted into a group and if everybody just wants to hug you the first time they <laughs> meet you like I still hate that. I, I don't, you know, because you can tell if it's genuine or if it's just, Sure. I think I'm this type of person, so I need to hug everyone. Look, if you're a grown man and I meet you for the first time, you can shake my hand. You don't need to give me a hug. There's this creepy documentary. It's not meant to be creepy, and I don't mean that in a mean way. I guess I kind of did, but... I, I don't take it back either. It's this documentary. <laughs> and uh, I won't say what documentary it is, but the two guys that they follow around are going around giving these talks about this thing that the documentary is about. And the one guy, I think actually maybe both of them, they always go, when they meet someone, they always go, oh, I'm a hugger. And they <laughs> hug the person right away. Aww. Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't... I think you kind of got to read the people as well. Yeah, but there are some people that are definitely huggers. Like, that's their natural vibe when they first meet you is to embrace you. I agree with you. There are some people that force it. But do you think it's necessarily wrong to force it? That's almost like saying, okay, your natural inclination is to be a dick. (laughs) And you know you should be nice. Mm -hmm. Is it wrong to fake nice? 
If you want to be a dick? No, probably not. You're yeah, dead. I don't know. Uh, maybe you're right. Um, maybe you're right. That's like the smiling thing. You feel like you're in a really crappy mood, so if you force yourself to smile, eventually the proper neurotransmitters are going to fire and the proper hormones are going to pump and you'll actually feel happy. Yeah. Maybe over time, if you start hugging people all the time, you'll actually, even if it's awkward in the beginning, you'll actually become a hugger. But again, that's, that's not a good a, example of one fake it till you make it works. You know, interesting. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to, I wanted yeah. to mention about that fake it till you make it. I think you're right, but there are some times when it's important to do that. Yeah, there are some times when it definitely works. But I think as far as, like, claiming or believing that you're more of an expert than you actually are, you're just doing yourself a disservice. But when it comes to something like, I'm feeling crappy and I want to feel better, so I'm going to fake that I feel better, generally, in situations like that, over time, you will start to feel better just from faking it, I think. I mean, again, that's another very personal experience to me that works. Um, I, I compare it quite often to uh, here in Bali, you know, there's a bit of a trash problem where they don't have a lot of, uh, they don't have any really government sponsored recycling or trash removal program or anything that we've so, noticed that we've noticed yeah not that i'm an expert on these things but but we end up doing a lot of like uh, beach cleanups and things because a lot of trash ends up in the oceans as it does yes so, as it is want to do yeah so we do a lot of beach cleanups and what i've noticed is actually i would compare this to searching for certain kinds of mushrooms as well the edible kind, the edible kind of mushrooms that don't do anything to your brain. Certain kinds of mushrooms. When you're seeking something, when you're searching for trash on the beach, or you're searching for a specific kind of mushroom in a cow patty, whatever it is that you're looking for, once mm-hmm. you tune your brain to it, that's all you find. That's all you see. When you're looking for trash, all you find is trash. Yeah. When you're looking for magic mushrooms, all you find are magic mushrooms. Like Because every mushroom is magic. <laughs> yeah, mushrooms are <laughs> the magical fruit of the earth. So when you switch your mind to seek that thing, that's what you're going to find. What you seek, you will find. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for if you're looking for trash, you find trash. But if you're looking for treasure, you find treasure. You know, when you're looking for the good stuff, you find the good stuff. So you can actually kind of tune your brain to just find the positive things in life rather than to find the things worth complaining about. So in that way, maybe it's fake it till you make it, but while you're faking it, you're making it. You know? Like while you're looking for the happy moments and the good moments and while you're forcing yourself to smile or whatever it is, like you're going to find more moments to smile about just in that process. Mm-hmm. Is okay. that relevant to anything we were talking about? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I think it is because basically what you're saying is, okay, if you're trying to master something, have a learner's mind and accept the fact that you, you'll you never make it, Yeah. right? <laughs> but if you're in a situation where it's not basically knowledge-based, it's okay to, to maybe fake it. 
Yeah. That's so like a really broad generalization, but... <laughs> no, but it super applies. Like, if you're stepping onto the dance floor at ecstatic dance and you feel mad uncomfortable and you feel like you're moving like a robot and you can't dance, but mm. you just make yourself do it anyway, over time, it's going to become natural and it's going to feel comfortable and you're going to loosen up and you're, you're going to find that sense of release that those crazy people seem to be finding while they're doing it. Yeah, or I guess the surf analogy is another good one where don't fake that you know how the tides are going to work or that you know how the politics out on the ocean are going to play out. But if you're going to ride a wave, if you're going to try to catch a wave, don't half-ass it. Even if you're not sure, act like you know how to ride that wave because it's the only way that you're going to actually catch it. Believe in yourself, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, lie to yourself. Don't, <laughs> don't lie, lie to, to others. others. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Trick yourself, but don't try to trick others. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, the point being that you, from your observations, you think that this yoga community is very accepting and non-judgmental. And it's, it can be. It can definitely not be as well. So when you, back to your original question of asking about beginners who are wanting to get into this for the first time, how do you know that you found a group that's what you're looking for, that's going to be supportive and open? I think that's the answer to your question right there. If you can find a group that's open-hearted, open-minded, and loving and non-judgmental, like that bhakti yoga, that idea of unconditional love and acceptance of humans with all of their faults, that's when you know you're on the right track versus getting involved with some kind of guru or cult or something that's telling you you need to be a specific way or even like a Bikram yoga class that's saying you need to get this deep in the pose and you need to push yourself further and harder and be different and do something different. I think yoga is an exploration of the self so whatever assists you in connecting closer to yourself without judgment without uh, rules and and regulations with just this pure open honest connection to yourself that's how you know you're on the right path if you're with a group that makes you doubt yourself have this sense of fear or this sense of not being good enough Mm. that's not the group that you should be with you know yeah that I think that's a great answer to that question then so today was the graduation for one of the trainings that that you taught at and um, it was the first time that I sat in on the graduation you've probably done like over a dozen over the past year plus now Um, does it always go like that (laughs) what did you observe well everyone (laughs) cried everyone was super happy it seemed like it's funny because i'm i the the setup of where where megan teaches is there's a restaurant below and a yoga shala above and they're kind of separate businesses but they work together and um typically i'll just chill in the restaurant whenever i'm visiting (laughs) work on my computer doing whatever i'm going to do and never go upstairs to the yoga shala. I never observe a class or anything because I, I want to maintain the sanctity of what those students are learning, right? Sure, yeah. And um, so all I'll typically see is them coming down on their breaks, grabbing some food, talking to you for a minute or so, and then you guys going back upstairs. So I have this very 
um, far removed view of, of what's going on and it, and it just looks to me like a bunch of people are going into a classroom learning some stuff taking a break going back into the classroom learning some stuff taking a break but sitting in the graduation today um, it opened my eyes a little bit more as to actually maybe what's going on there and what do you think these girls and there was one man um, usually the there's more than usually one. there's more men yeah. But what do you think these people took, took, and like, why is this so powerful to them? Yeah, that's a great question. Why is this so powerful to them? So I think you have to think about where a lot of these people are coming from. Some of these people travel as far around the world as possible to come to this little island in Indonesia to study yoga. Like some are coming from the States. A lot are from Australia, a lot from Europe. Um, so they're traveling quite far and they're taking a month out of their life to focus on themselves. And for a lot of people, that's the first time in their life that they've ever taken a month just for themselves to, to learn a new skill and to do something that asks you to self-inquire. You know, that helps that asks you to, to discover something new about yourself. Mm -hmm. and even something so simple in yoga as the breath we breathe involuntarily right you never have to think about your breath and you'll still breathe you're not going to stop breathing and die mm -hmm. but in a yoga course like this over the course of the month we ask you to sit and observe your breath notice how you breathe lengthen your breath like change your rate of breath and that's just the tip of the iceberg we ask you to do that with your emotions as well. Observe your emotions. What does that emotion physically feel like within your body? You know, um, we talk about the chakras, you know, and people think chakras are some like hippy dippy crazy bullshit thing. Yeah. Um, do you feel that way? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I think, but I definitely held that view. And maybe occasionally I go back to that view every once in a while. Yeah. I, I never know. But it's a little bit like. If you think about your body right now, um, you're not feeling the garment, your shirt, on your back. You're not feeling what it feels like for that garment to touch your back. But now that I've brought your attention to it, you can most definitely feel it, can't you? Mm -hmm. You can feel the fabric on your back. Yeah. But if you were paying attention to that all day long, you would have no other brain space to, to pay attention to anything else, right? If you right. had to focus on every hair follicle and every thread of your clothing touching your skin, it's not that you can't feel it. It's just that you don't feel it most yeah. of the time because your focus is elsewhere. And the chakras are the same. Like when you tune your mind to it, when you switch your brain onto it, you feel it absolutely. Um, we often think of it as like emotional centers in your body. So if you think of a really strong emotion, the next time you feel yourself jealous, for example, if you get jealous, like you think your your you know your boyfriend your girlfriend's like talking to someone else and it makes you feel jealousy, if you can take on the role of the observer of that emotion rather than the feeler of that emotion. So essentially, if you can take a step back from that emotion and actually feel where you physically feel that emotion within your body 
you know, certain parts of the body grow like hot and fiery when you feel those really strong emotions. A lot of people think, oh, it's my boyfriend. I think he's cheating on me. I feel jealous. That's an emotion of the heart. That's not an emotion of the heart chakra. That's an emotion of the, the solar plexus chakra. It's called the Manipura chakra. It's like just between your lower ribs essentially sitting back towards mm -hmm. the spine if you actually feel jealousy if you take a step back to like notice where are you feeling hot and agitated in the body when you're feeling jealous it's that solar plexus chakra that manipura chakra which is our pride center in the body jealousy is an emotion of hurt pride not of a broken heart it's an emotion of your ego being bruised, essentially. Mm -hmm. So you feel it more in that chakra rather than in your heart chakra, your, your love chakra, you know. Mm -hmm. So the chakras might sound crazy, but when you think about that idea of like just having a gut feeling about something, your intuition, you just feel it in your gut. Mm -hmm. uh, that's your, that's another chakra. That's your svadhisthana, your um, sacral chakra, you know, giving you that gut feeling. Or if you feel like, uh, like you can't communicate properly like you're choked up and you can't get some message across a lot of times that's the throat chakra blocking that communication you know it's your communication center mm -hmm. when you're feeling nervous and the, the voice is just catching in your throat that's your throat chakra so it's actually the chakras are something we feel all the time so when you ask why is this such a powerful experience for students is because we're asking them to feel themselves, their bodies, their emotions on a much deeper, much more clear level than they've ever been asked to feel them before. And they're doing it in a small community of people who are also seeking to better themselves and to connect to themselves and to their emotions on a deeper level as well. Mm -hmm. So that process, that journey is a super powerful, super deep one that, that people think is like life changing a lot of the times. And what you witness today, these, these women mostly at the graduation, like actually in fear of going back to their regular lives, to their corporate jobs, if that's what it is, to their apartment in the city or whatever it is, it's because they, they feel like they're going to lose touch with themselves when they move to a different setting because they've connected so closely to themselves here on this little beautiful tropical island with the ocean right outside their door. Mm -hmm. And they think if I go back to a concrete building, how am I going to maintain this connection to myself? You know, I'm going to lose myself. I think that's that's the fear. And do you, what do you tell them? What I try to say to them is that no matter where you go in this world, you bring yourself with you. You know, there's nowhere you can go on earth that you could escape yourself. So any gains that you've made in connecting to yourself or any experience that you feel you've had here, you're bringing it with you wherever you go. And in fact, you're not really going anywhere. This world is one world, you know, it's one earth, you know, there's not really anywhere you can go to get away. It's all the same place. You know what I mean by that? You can't escape. You can't escape yourself no matter what. So, so there's those gains that you feel you've made, you're, you're bringing them along no matter where you go in the world. Are students able to grasp that? I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe sometimes, <laughs> you know. And it's easier said than done, of course. And for me, it's a little like, 
I live in Bali. I live here. I live in their dream place where they exist. So it doesn't mean much coming from me, you know. Maybe if I was in, like, a corporate job in New York City or something and I was saying those things, they would really believe it. But for me, they're just like, yeah, well, you live here. (laughs) Of course you think Mm. that. Um, But I I like to believe that even if I lived somewhere else, I would be able to bring all of this depth with me, you know. Mm. But we'll see. (laughs) So, interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that, like... Basically, what you're saying is that you, over the last month, you force these people to feel more than they have ever felt before. So it's like, it's a little bit like you're opening up the floodgates for them, and now you're like setting them loose on the world. Yeah, and they fear a lot. I've heard just one student graduating today was saying to us like, there's, okay, this was a group of 14 people and maybe four teachers, and she was saying like, there just aren't people like you guys in New York. In New York City, she believes there's no one like the 17 of us or however many there were gathered in that room. Yeah. Um, That's insane, right? That's just, that can't be true, that can't be right. In a massive, the most diverse city in the world, probably, of course, there are people also seeking the same thing, seeking to better themselves, seeking to connect with themselves. It's just, harder to find those people sometimes how do you how do you find it that's a good question yeah yeah i think you you go to the places that make you feel in touch with yourself and those people will be there too trying to get in touch with themselves so whether that's a yoga studio or it's a rock climbing gym or it's a healthy food cafe or the library or whatever it is wherever makes you feel connected to yourself If you go to those places, maybe it's the park, you know, maybe it's nature, Mm. whatever it is, surely those people will be gathered there as well. You'll be able to find them. But I believe wholeheartedly that thousands of them are in New York City and Melbourne and anywhere else in the world, Paris and London and everywhere. It's more the people maybe going back to small towns that have to worry. Yeah, but even still, you know, it's it's all out there. And I think we get so harsh on society and think, like, culture is taking this, like, negative downward spiral. But in fact, like, every month I'm seeing these massive groups of people willing to travel around the world to do this kind of work. Mm. And that gives me hope. Like, so many more people are, are seeking to get in touch with themselves. I think the numbers are growing, not not shrinking at all. So they're out there. They're everywhere. Small towns, big towns, they're everywhere. Yeah. It's the idea of having a place, a gathering place, I think is probably pretty important. And, and we're lucky in society today because we have the internet as well which yeah. maybe it isn't a physical place but it's it's still a place right For so sure. so that could be good and bad right maybe you could get on a yoga forum and then feel like you never actually need to meet other people in real life but it can be a tool in order for you to figure out where is a studio that you might align with most or like when is there going to be free yoga in the park that you can go meet people or something like that yeah not to mention though if you're seeking those kinds of gathering spaces 
chances are there are others in your area who are also seeking them so why not start it yourself you know why not start a weekly group a weekly meetup to talk about these kinds of things to talk about meditation or, or self-inquiry or whatever it is like surely you're not alone in yeah. seeking that even if you know nothing right yeah yeah you don't have to be like all knowing in order to help others and in order to share yeah don't say you know just don't advertise it as you're teaching a class but maybe just like a meetup and then all of a sudden you meet a bunch of people who care maybe one person knows someone and and something from there can grow yeah exactly just a gathering of like-minded people and Mm -hmm. and you you have something in common and it'll grow from there Mm mm-hmm um, okay, so let me, I just have one more, I think this is what I'm going to make like my final question for people, and then we can call it quits, and then you can tell people where they can find you, because I've heard on other podcasts that's what they do at the end, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and, and then we'll close it off. So the last question, let's say there's someone who wants to get into yoga, and they meet someone who's already in yoga, what is a good question to ask a yogi to start a conversation to actually um, learn something from there. For like, someone, like what? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So, for someone who wants to get into it or is curious about it, what's the key question to ask? It doesn't have to be the key question, but let's say, like, um, so I was in the military, right? So, usually, one of the first questions I get is. Oh, oh, that's weird. Um, oh, have you ever been to war or something like that? <laughs> how and, many people have you killed? Yeah, how many people have you killed? <laughs> and right off the bat, I already know that, and, and maybe this is a judgmental way to think, but I already know that they're uninformed, right? So I know that I'm not going to be able to have an in-depth conversation with that person about this type of thing, about the military, right? Because they haven't been there. They don't understand what it's really like. So for yoga, what, what is a question that someone could ask that, say, that says, hey, I've done a little bit of research, I'm interested in it, I would love to hear your take on something more, and I would like also to project to you to know that I'm the type of person that you could maybe talk to this type of, about this type of thing. Sure, yeah. So let me start by saying like an example of an ignorant question yeah sure like in comparison to the how many people have you killed or yeah, have yeah, you yeah. been to war kind of question yeah. if you ask someone uh uh who does yoga like if you ask them a question like how far can you get your foot behind your head <laughs> yeah you know something uh-huh. like that that, uh-huh. that would be a pretty good example of like okay this person doesn't understand what yoga is about mm-hmm. right so the flip side of that a question that you could ask that would get that person to give you a very authentic sort of answer that would help you to get deeper into the community Mm -hmm. i think would be because yoga is such a personal thing to the individual just to ask them what yoga means to them what does yoga mean to you or what has yoga done for you in your life Mm -hmm. i ask this to my students all the time and the answers are inspirational you know the answers are extremely moving because i've had people on the brink of suicide who have said yoga completely turned their life around and made life worth living Mm -hmm. you know i've had people who felt they were on a completely unfulfilling path in life where they hated themselves 
and just through yoga through meditation they were able to love themselves again so everyone who practices has a reason and has a, a meaning that they ascribe to the practice and to be able to ask that and to be able to discover that will will help you understand the depth that the practice can bring to your life cool great yeah awesome okay and then lastly where uh where are you located what do you do and how can people find you so i'm located in bali i live in Chenggu most of the time which is a super cool surfing yoga kind of hub i teach at teacher trainings with santosha yoga institute on nusa lembongan but through my personal company yoga trotter i do a lot of workshops and retreats so you can follow me on Instagram at Yoga Trotter um, and hopefully join one of my retreats that we talk a lot about uh, Hinduism in Bali, how strong and powerful it is here, mm-hmm. how those gods that you see in the Balinese temples, how they relate to yoga poses, yeah. um, a lot of meditation for just getting in touch with yourself and understanding yourself a little bit better and a little bit deeper. So I would love it if someone would join one of my retreats. Cool. And I'll uh, make sure all that's like in the description of the episode and uh, that way people can find you. Awesome. Thank you for being my first interview. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> all right. Um, until next time. See ya. Maybe I'll have a better call, call off. Uh, what should I say? I'll call. Say uh, <laughs> All right, I'll work on it for the next time. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>